Um, I'm just going to invite Mary to come and speak to us. Um, this is the fourth and last, I believe, of our series on pilgrimage. Uh, so it's exciting. Not exciting that it's the last. It's exciting that Mary... <laughs> this is far too stressful. <laughs> um, I just want to pray for Mary. And um, um, without wishing to embarrass Mary, you know, Mary's been struggling with her health of late. think it would be just really good if we can just reach our hands out to Mary. Father, you care about your children. You care when children are hurting or struggling with in their body or things just aren't working as they should and you know so Father we ask that your hand your loving hand your healing hand your all powerful hand would just reach out and touch Mary and Father I pray for peace in her heart I pray that she would know a closeness to you that she has not experienced before increase her thank you, Father, for the word that you have put in our heart to deliver to us today. And Father, we ask that that would be meat and drink to us. So we look to you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Mark said, it's a bit, I've got this because this chair is very Somebody's been putting WD-40 on the vase. Um, this is the last sermon in our pilgrimage series. And so far, Tim has talked to us about how a pilgrimage is still a pilgrimage, however slowly <laughs> you're going, um, as long as we're going towards God, um, as long as our desire is for him above everything else, and as long as we trust in him before anything else. And Andrew compared the pilgrim life with another, which looks very similar at first glance, which is the tourist. He asked, do we seek to be served or to serve? To find ourselves or to find God? And today I'm going to reflect on the title I've been given of Follow Me and Go to conclude our series. And I want to allow some time for us all to reflect on this as well. Um, most of our soul groups haven't been meeting in September, um, so we haven't had a chance to discuss pilgrimage with one another much. So I'd like to leave a little space for us to do that today. This also has the advantage of meaning I don't have to talk for too long at one time. <coughs> My doctor tells me coughing is good. Um, <coughs> now, as it happened, I preached on this section of Matthew 4 back in June, so I'm not going to spend a long time looking at that now. 
but it is very relevant for today's topic. So I do want to draw your attention to one critical thing. Jesus sees two pairs of brothers that this day on the beach by the Sea of Galilee. And he invites all four of them to follow him. But it doesn't end there. He says, if they follow him, he will make them fishers of men. I think it's reasonable to assume that Matthew intends us to understand the brothers all get the same call. He draws our attention to various other differences between them, so I'm pretty sure he would have mentioned it if they didn't. These four fishermen are to become four fishers of men, which means people, not just nouns. So right from the start of their journey with Jesus, the first disciples are not just to follow and learn from him, but to gather others to him as well. And shortly afterwards, when they've spent some time with him, heard his teaching, watched him healing, even seen him casting out demons, they're sent out to actually do it for themselves. Jesus says to them, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, proclaim the good news, which is, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he gives them detailed instructions how to go about it. It is indisputably a training exercise. And it's so important that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write about it in their Gospels. And Luke also tells us about another later time when Jesus sends out 70 disciples giving them very similar instructions to the 12. In each village or town, they're to find someone who welcomes them, stay with that person, and share the gospel with the whole community, healing any who come to them in need. Then when everyone is, has heard, they're to move on. First the 12 go, and then the 70 go, and they come back, and they're so excited. When they return, they exclaim, Lord, in your name, even demons submit to us. So finally, we come to the end of Matthew, which was the second passage Gabby read to us. Jesus has arranged to meet his disciples to give them his final instructions. And guess what? They haven't fundamentally changed. The only difference is the scope. The disciples are not just to go throughout Palestine, but the whole world, taking the good news to all nations, all people groups. This isn't some big new thing. The disciples don't have any reason to say, well, if I'd known you meant this, I wouldn't have signed up. It was spelled out in their original call. They've had more than one practice mission trip with detailed briefings and debriefings. Now they get to do it throughout the whole world. Following 
means fishing. It always has and it always will. So I'm going to um, suggest we take our first break for reflection here. And this is going to be a personal reflection. There'll be some music playing for a couple of minutes only. I'd like you to imagine yourself on that beach, the one by the Sea of Galilee. You're doing your thing when Jesus calls you. Here you might like to reflect on what it was like when Jesus first called you. What did you think following him would be like? What has it actually been like? Maybe you haven't ever fully responded to Jesus, or not with a yes anyway. In that case, why don't you imagine you're Andrew or Peter, allowing yourself to really hear his call now. Are you going to leave your nets and go in? Or maybe you can't remember a time when you said yes to Jesus because you grew up in a Christian home and you've just always been a Christian. In that case, you might like to imagine that you're James or John, working and living alongside your father, doing just what he does. Jesus calls you to stop being dependent on your earthly family and be dependent on him and your heavenly father. Are you ready to follow him in your own way? So I'm going to give you two minutes now just to reflect.
was a very short time. But it obviously resulted in very early reflection at home. And I need to move on um, to look at that passage at the end of my prayer in a little more detail. The 11 disciples, 11 of course, because Judas is no longer with them, meet Jesus where he told them to, on a hillside, probably not far from where they were first called. Maybe even on a hillside where they and thousands of others had listened to him teach. They see him and they worship. Then there's this really interesting phrase. But some doubted. This causes a lot of debate, as you can imagine. Some people think there must have been other disciples there who weren't part of the 11, who were there as well, and they were the ones that doubted. Others think some of the disciples doubted now, but they got themselves all sorted out at Pentecost. Still others, and I think I prefer this interpretation, saying perhaps some of the disciples did doubt, but they point out that this isn't a word that implies disbelief. It's more about feeling confused or even just hesitating, self-doubt almost. Maybe not wanting to go all in because they don't know what all in is actually going to look like yet. I think that sounds so relatable, don't you think? Doesn't that describe all of us some of the time? And maybe some of us all of the time. We see Jesus and we worship him. Of course we do. He died for us to free us from our slavery to our sin and to make a way to come into the presence of God. Of course we worship. But going all in, being fishers as well as followers, does that actually then mean we worship but we hesitate? We worship, but we doubt. We worship, but we're afraid. But look at what Jesus does. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't rebuke. He reassures. He repeats the call, the commission, and he makes a promise. When we're afraid, when the disciples were afraid, we and they need to know where the real authority lies. And it doesn't lie with earthly leaders. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. The Roman and the Jewish authorities tried to stop me by killing me and spectacularly failed because they don't have any real authority. I have it all. Therefore, 
He said, you don't need to be afraid. Go out and live your lives and make disciples as you go. Everywhere you go. That means baptizing them and teaching them everything you've learned from me. And he promises that he will be with them all the time, which turns out to be because he sends the Holy Spirit. In one way, this is even better than the training trips. Then they had to leave Jesus behind because he was human, so he couldn't be in two places at once. In future, the Spirit will be with them all the time, flowing through the Father and the Son. The Spirit is spirit, so can always be with us. And wherever we are, all the time. There's something else I want to draw your attention to. Note that Jesus doesn't say, go out and build churches. Churches are a little C. He says, make disciples. People who flow mean people who will be pushers of other people, just like the 11 were in the process of becoming. And Peter, Peter was going to be the rock on which he built his church, church with a great big C. The whole body of all disciples everywhere from all time. That's the church. Peter was the one who spoke to the crowds gathered in Jerusalem, that first Pentecost. He was going to be the first to heal in Jesus' name, the first to be hauled up in front of the Jewish authorities, the first to be put in jail, the first to be released from jail, the first to be sent expressly to one Gentile, a Roman centurion named. I think if Peter had had even an inkling of all that was to happen on that day on the beach, he might well have hesitated. But he went on to be the rock on which the whole church was built. And by the time it did happen, he was fearless because he knew where the real authority lay and that nothing on earth could separate him from Jesus. Not anymore. Not the Romans, not the Pharisees or Sadducees, not angry mobs, not his own cowardice, not even death. And he was full of the Spirit. The power and presence of Jesus was with him, just as Jesus has promised. So Peter made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, all the way down the centuries to us. It's time for our second break. And this time I'd like you to go into twos or threes and just spend a couple of minutes talking with one another about the sort of things that make us hesitate today.
One more minute. back together. Okay. Let's come back together. We hesitate for all sorts of reasons, don't we? <coughs> Coughing is good though. And just as some of the disciples hesitated. We worship Jesus. We love to worship Jesus. We know he has all authority in heaven and earth. We know it here in our heads. And we know it here in our hearts on Sundays when we worship together. But somehow, when we're outside these four walls, sometimes we hesitate. We don't put our waders on. We don't steer our nets out. We don't get into the boat. <laughs> and we don't get out of the boat to walk on water either. But what did Jesus do when Peter got out of the boat and then was afraid? He put out his hand to him and he lifted him up. And he said, don't be afraid because I am with you. Jesus doesn't leave us in our hesitation. And he didn't leave his disciples in theirs. He commissioned them and he gave them authority and he gave them power and he gave them his Holy Spirit. And he still gives his disciples authority, power and his spirit today. And what does he give us them for? Making disciples. I'm going to get a little bit technical now. There are four verbal forms in verses 19 and 20. And different churches over the centuries have emphasized different ones. Some focus on going. Special people are sent out. Sent overseas sent door to door. It doesn't even seem to matter if there isn't much fruit. The important thing is the going. Other churches really focus on the baptizing. Let's baptize as many people as possible, write down their names, count them as disciples, even if they're only one week old and we never see them again. Others still focus primarily on the teaching. 
teach the socks off them, perfect their apologetics, their hermeneutics, their exegetics, their doctrine. It's quality, not quantity of disciples that matters. But the doings, baptizing, and teaching are all incidental to the making verb. Make disciples is the only imperative or command in Jesus' commission. Going has more of a as-you-go or having-gone-out or even as-you-live-your-life meaning. It's necessary. It preempts the making disciples, but it's not a command to go. The baptizing and teaching are things that happen as part of making disciples. New disciples are to be baptized to mark their repentance and show their new life in Christ. And they're to be taught so that they understand his teaching and can follow his example in the way they live. But Christ's example is that as he lived his life, as he traveled about, he healed the sick, taught the people and gathered, taught and baptized disciples. And he delegated his authority, his sickness healing, demon expelling, crowd feeding, crowd teaching, death defying authority to his disciples. Which includes us. He gave us his spirit so we could do what he did. So that we could proclaim the kingdom of God is near. And making disciples, not for ourselves, but for Jesus. And these new disciples are quite likely to be drawn from the people who've been healed, fed, released, taught. He sent his spirit, not just so that we would be pilgrims who journey towards Jesus, but so that we would be pilgrims who gather as we go. I'm nearly done now, um, but I would like you to get into a twos and threes one more time before I conclude. And this time, I'd like you to spend a couple of minutes praying for each other that we would know the power of Jesus in our lives, equipping us to be fishers as well as followers, pilgrims who gather as we go. Pray for each other to experience the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, powerfully, seven days a week.
can ask you to join your prayers to a close. Sorry to stop you praying, but um, please feel able to carry on at the end of the service. I want to conclude by saying I have listened to many, many, many sermons on this passage. And I always walk out of the service feeling inadequate. On a bad day, I feel like a complete failure as a Christian. If there's a risk that you might do this today, please be reassured that is not my intention. God doesn't judge us by numbers, notches on our evangelistic scorecards. It's not a game. Our Father loves us. And all he desires from us is that we love him first and foremost. And that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Peter knew this. It's been a day for reading from Peter. Listen to what Peter, the fisherman, the fisher of men, the rock on whom Christ built his church, says in his first letter to the churches. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality. Use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Praise God. Love each other. Be hospitable. Serve. Witness. This is, as Tim and the Mandalorian would say, the way. If even that is too much because you're feeling so bruised and broken at the moment, remember, God doesn't crush the broken reed. He redeems it. Isaiah first spoke about the Savior who doesn't give up on the broken reed. And Matthew quoted him in his gospel. The Savior will not break a broken reed which can't bear any sin. He doesn't snuff out the smoldering wick which doesn't shed any light. Isaiah is talking about the Messiah to come, 
Matthew is talking about the Messiah who is here. The Messiah will not stop until hope is brought to all people. Even you. Even me. The broken tree will yet bear fruit. The smoldering wick will yet shed light. Follow Jesus. And let him make you a fisher of people.